we've been moving some stuff around our house. And so, um, you know, when you start moving things, you realize there's a whole heap of boxes that you haven't unpacked from about five years ago that you really should get to. So I started unpacking and unpacking. And as I unpacked, I found some old photos, photos that have fallen out of boxes like photo albums or that you forgot to ever put in a photo album when you actually printed out photos. And I thought for the sake of full disclosure, so that we can continue to get to know each other a little better, I'd bring some of these old photos along. I don't know why I do this to myself, but here we go. So this was me when I was about four or five years old. This was my favorite swing. This was my favorite place to be in the world, on my swing in my backyard. And you'll notice that the swing bars are uh, straight and strong. They're metal. And it had a hinge that if you swung high enough, you could go right over, which, of course, I never did. But my dad and his mates would always have a lot of fun on my swing. So that was my swing that I stuck with. Next one, me at the height of winter fashion. Um, Thing was, this was in Townsville in North Queensland, so it was probably still 27 degrees. Um, But that was cold for us there, so this was probably me about the same age uh, with my little glasses on, enjoying my fashionable winter clothes that we wore for about a week. Now, we've gone from fashion to mullet, um, but so this was my family uh, in the mid to late 80s probably. I'm the oldest one and my mum with her excellent perm and my brother, I don't know what he is doing down there, but that's my brother. Um, And that was our family. That still is our family. Um, My brother's now six foot five and still has a crazy smile like that. Uh, (laughs) This one was when I was a teenager in high school and uh, I'd saved up all my money working um, at Woolworths as a checkout chick, um, and where I paid for myself to go on a school trip to the outback. Um, you might notice, you can't see it real well there, but my hair is kind of a strange red colour. We snuck out and bought hair dye uh, and dyed our hair just a couple of nights before we went home and all came back with bright red hair. Um, my mum, not very happy. <laughs> but it was fun, and that was my best friend. Last one, this was Gary and I on our first date. We went to see Forrest Gump. That's how long ago it was. (laughs) And we were there. And of course, Forrest Gump's kind of a bit of a teary movie. So I just burst into tears towards the end. And I can still remember he had no idea what to do. (laughs) But he's gotten much better at it now. That's good. So they're my photos that I found. and, And I think of all of those different snapshots. Um, each of them kind of moments in time that tell a bit of a story about me then. But then when you piece all of those together, you get a broader picture of who I am as a person, as a family member, as all of these different things. And, and in so many ways, that's what the Bible is. It's these snapshots of moments in time, particularly with the Gospels, snapshots of Jesus' ministry that the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, have, have pieced together so that we can get a fuller and broader image of Jesus and who he might be and who he, what he might mean to our lives. And so today I want to take us through four snapshots. And I kind of feel like I need to warn you, you need to strap yourselves in because I know where we're going There's some big stuff in here, so you need to come with me, okay? So, snapshot number one. And all of this is coming from John chapter 6. So if you want to follow along, it's from John 
chapter 6. And the first snapshot is, snapshot is feeding the 5,000, which we just saw a, a little bit of just then. Now, feeding of the 5,000 is a well-known story. It's something that I think if you have, even if you've not grown up in the church, if coming to church is a, is a new thing for you, you still would have heard this story. It's kind of almost a bit like a fairy tale. It's what it becomes, a myth, because you can hear it so much. But as we saw in that video, Jesus is getting a following because of the different miraculous signs that he's been doing. He's been healing people and, and word is getting out that this Jesus guy, there's something about him. There's something different. And people are starting to follow him. They want to see more. And so crowds gather around him. Now, we saw that that was quite a huge crowd coming towards Jesus. They say it was probably about 5,000 men, hence the feeding of the 5,000. I know you're with me here. But with that, there would have been women and children as well. So it could have been 10,000, 15,000 people. We don't know. Um, And these crowds are coming towards Jesus and they've been teaching and all sorts of things. And Jesus says this, Jesus saw a huge, soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him and turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? You see, he was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. I love this. Jesus really likes keeping people on their toes. There's never a dull moment when you're with Jesus and and not much ever happens by accident. Jesus already knew that he wanted to take his disciples and the people around him a little deeper. He wanted to reveal more about himself. Can you imagine the look on Philip's face here? So what are we going to do, Philip? How are we going to feed all of these people? What do you reckon? And I think Philip probably had the same reaction that I would have had and just gone... I'm sure Philip didn't say this, but are you completely nuts? How are we going to feed all of these people? It's going to cost eight months' worth of wages. How on earth are we meant to do that? That was Philip's reaction. But there was another disciple. There was another disciple there with him, Andrew. And it's interesting, Andrew had a different reaction to Jesus in this because Andrew, I don't know whether a little boy was wandering past and he just grabs him or how that worked, but he grabs the lunch of a little boy, five loaves and two fish. They looked like tasty fish in that video, didn't they? Yeah. I don't eat seafood as it is. That was gross. Um, And he says, Lord, Jesus, what do you reckon you can do with this? What can we do with this? And then Jesus, taking that, prays over it, gets the peoples into group, people into groups and starts handing out the food and feeding him and feeding him and feeding them and feeding them and feeding them. Not just till they'd had just enough to whet their appetite, but until each of them were full. This Jesus that were people were still trying to work out who he might be and what he might be on about had turned nothing into something, had taken tiny little meager bits and turned it into something amazing. This was no ordinary man. How did the people react? Well, right there and then, those people wanted to crown him king. And it says they wanted to crown him king by force which was interesting, I would have, how that interplay would have happened. And, and Jesus, knowing what they were about to do, he slips away. 
slips away into the mountainside because he's not willing to be made the king that they are expecting. He has other plans. So that's snapshot number one. Jesus feeding the 5,000. Snapshot number one of Jesus. The second snapshot is Jesus walking on the water. So he's just fed the 5,000 and if that wasn't quite enough, he's there's more to come. The disciples, Jesus had, had moved away so that he could move away from the people and just have some time out. And the disciples decided that they were going to head out across the sea to Capernaum, making a head start. And so they head out. It's in the evening. Uh, most of the people probably have milled around or left for the day. And so they head out across the sea. And they go out and they get halfway across the sea and the storm starts building. Now, these guys are fishermen. They know the sea and they know what it's about. But for the Jewish people of the time, the sea represented a whole lot of other things as well. Kind of represented chaos and turmoil and unpredictability and even evil. And so even though these guys were seasoned fishermen, to be on the sea at night with their boat rocking around and the wind howling was a terrifying thing. And then they see this figure coming towards them walking, not on the shore, not kind of way off on the beach, but walking towards them in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the sea. Now, that probably didn't help their fear at that moment, I reckon. I think it's, they actually were probably even more terrified. And they said they were terrified. But then he, being Jesus, called out to them, don't be afraid, I am here. And they invite Jesus into the boat. And it says as soon as Jesus enters the boat, the storm calms and they're immediately at the shore. Now that's an interesting thing even there. The storm calms and they're immediately at the shore. This Jesus, who we're still not sure who he is and what he's on about, has control over the weather and even the elements. Hmm... Their reaction was one of praise. He can turn chaos and turmoil into calm and take us where we want to be. Snapshot number two. Snapshot number three, bread of heaven. Now this one may get a little bit disturbing. If there's any vegetarians amongst you, maybe. Uh, You see, as we're following on, it's nice. John chapter 6 kind of follows a day and a night and a day again. But the people, the crowds who Jesus had fed the day before came back to the place where they were and they, they noticed that only they'd seen the disciples leave. Only one boat had left and they knew Jesus wasn't on it. But Jesus was nowhere to be found. Where could he be now? And so they all jump in a boat and row across the sea as well to find Jesus. And they want to know more. When they get there, they want to know more. And they ask Jesus when they find him, when did you get here? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me knowing why they're following him. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs that I've been doing, but but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And they replied, we want to perform God's work too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, 
This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe in the one he has sent. But he didn't stop there. They answered, show us a miraculous sign, which is amazing considering what happened the day before. Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. You say it's just about believing. Show us. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In this part, we see that they mentioned Moses and they mentioned manna. This John chapter 6, all of these events happen around the Passover time. And for the Jewish people, one of the biggest parts, the biggest traditions in their culture was to remember the Exodus. Happened many, many years ago in their culture when the Israelite people, God took them out of Egypt. Anyone seen the movie Exodus? No Sam Worthington in this one, but that's all right. So um, I've got a few nods there. Took them out of Egypt And he led them out there and where did they hit? What did they hit first off? They hit the Red Sea. And what did God do in that moment as they're panicking and wandering around and how are we going to get out? The Egyptians are coming. What are we going to do? God parts the Red Sea for them. God controls the waters. And then they go across the water and they move out and they then are in the desert. And it doesn't take very long for them to realize, hey, we've got no food. What on earth are we going to do? God's brought us all out here just to die. What are we meant to do with that? But God again provides. He sends manna, this type of bread that when they wake up in the morning is there on the ground ready for them to go to eat, but it only lasts a day. It's perishable. And so when they then, so by the end of the day, it's no good. They can't use it anymore, but guess what? They wake up the next day and there's manna there again. God provides for them day after day after day with this bread. And so these people are saying, Moses gave them bread to eat. What are you going to do for us? What are you going to do? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven to give life to the world. Jesus is saying the true bread is me. As we go through these snapshots, there's kind of the amazing things that are happening, but there's also something else going on. There's this subtext that is running underneath it, these links to the people's history of of long ago. One day I was um, heading to the airport. I was off uh, off on a way to um, a conference um, and I caught the sky bus and I got sat sat beside a man who asked me where I was going. And I said, I'm actually um, on my way to a conference said, well, what are you going to be doing at the conference? And I said, well, it's actually a Christian conference. Um, different leaders and Baptist churches and stuff get together from around the world. And so, yeah, I get to go along and observe and be part of it. And whenever you say that to a person, you, you always get interesting reactions. When you mention Christian conference, yes, I'm that much into Christianity. I will go to a conference. That always gets people and, and interesting reactions. And he came back at me and went, well... I am I'm actually um, a Muslim atheist. And I went, oh, explain that to me. <laughs> and he said, well, I, I grew up in the area, kind of India, Bangladesh area, and I was a Muslim. 
and that was how I understood God, and that is how I grew up, and, and that, is, um, that was my whole cultural being. And, and then I emigrated to New Zealand, and I saw how the West lived, and I saw the different ways, and I realized at that point there was no God. All of this religious stuff is just baggage that we have to hold on to, and I just let it go. I'm an atheist. I said, okay. And then he said to me, but you Christians, which is always interesting on a packed bus, uh, <laughs> you Christians, I don't get you. I don't understand you. I don't understand how you can believe in a God that is two completely different things. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I look at the Bible and I see the God of the Old Testament. And it's all about power and anger and wrath and might and all of those kind of things and a jealous God. And how do you then put that with the teachings of Jesus and the New Testament about love and peace and joy and freedom and all of those kind of things? How does those two make sense together? How would you answer that question? <laughs> I was really happy that the day before I just handed in an assignment on the exact topic of that. <laughs> and we sat on our very short 20-minute ride to uh, Melbourne Airport talking through the Old Testament and the New Testament. That the Bible is this amazing picture of God's re God reaching out to the world. God trying to engage, God trying to bring his people back. And in the Old Testament, he does that through the people of Israel. These people, Moses, and the people that they're talking about here, he does it through the people of Israel so that they might be a light to all of those around them. And then in the New Testament, we see people reaching out with the power of the Holy Spirit and, and going into places they've never gone before and taking the Holy Spirit with them. And then in the middle is Jesus. Jesus is the hinge of all of this together. He was there at the beginning. John, in this book, in the start of his, his writings, his letter, he says, the word, he calls Jesus the word. And when we see in Genesis the word, God speaks the earth into being with his words. We see Jesus in the middle and we go right throughout to the, the end where God, with God setting up the new kingdom and the new earth, there is Jesus. What pulls all of this together is Jesus. What holds all of these great things together is Jesus. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit kind of weaving their way throughout all of these words, throughout all of history, as they go on this kind of dance. Not three separate gods, but one in three different ways. And so this is what Jesus is doing in this passage, he's pulling these bits together and he says, you remember that amazing time, that exodus that you hold on to and you claim where God fed you daily. Well, God has sent me so that you can be fed completely, that you can live in this way eternally, that you'll never want for anything else and you'll never need for anything else because I will completely satisfy you. You remember how God parted the sea for you? I have control of the wind and the waves and the water and, and I can control that too. Remember how God did that? He's showing them in this snapshot, in this miracle, I can do that too. He's pulling all of these things together. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven to give life to the world. 
And there's this interaction that goes backwards and forwards. And Jesus teaches some more and the people ask some more questions and Jesus teaches some more. And then there is this somewhat disturbing few verses that I think, you know how sometimes um, you hear people and I've done it before, you go, Lord, I just need a word from you, an encouraging word. And you just open the Bible and you hope that you look down at a verse that would just give you that encouragement. Hope it's never this one. Um, It says, Jesus says this to the people. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat my flesh, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. What? Could you imagine them sitting there going, what are you talking about here? Is this kind of, is Jesus now promoting a whole new form of cannibalism that we need to look at and go in? I think you know what my answer is going to be. No, that's not what's happening here. What he is doing though is Jesus is pointing to the future. He's saying, I'm pulling all of this together. This is God pulling it all together here. Those things of your past, when it's now eternal things that you can hold on to and you can grab onto. And my body, the bread, will be broken. And we know that as the cross. My blood will be poured out. And we know that as the cross. But these are eternal things. A new kingdom is coming and these are eternal things. But it also points to how much this commitment is going to mean for these people. What it means to be a true disciple. Remember it goes back a bit and we read that all you need to do is believe in me. Well, this is what it takes to believe in Jesus. He's saying if you really want to follow me, this is a whole heart-encompassing, soul-encompassing, hand, mind, everything-encompassing deal can't just be your head it can't even just be your allegiance it needs to encapsulate all of you he's saying this is what it means to follow me if you believe who I am their reaction well that takes us to snapshot four many of them desert Jesus many of them desert Jesus this new teaching that Jesus had promised and the miracles that they had seen were enticing they wanted to know and they wanted to follow more but this was different to what they expected they were expecting the kind of sword wielding one who would put to shame all of those around them and and bring up the people of Israel and and Jesus is saying no this is for everyone and this is going to require all of you and so the people who had seen all of those miracles said this many of his disciples said This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And they walked away. They walked away and left. What seemed for them so promising, who a day ago they wanted to make this man king, was now the gravity of it all was hitting them. And they're like, I'm not sure I'm willing to give everything. I'm not sure that I can even stick around long enough to better understand what's going on. And they walked away. These people had missed it. They'd missed Jesus. This was their reaction. And we see many people have that reaction still today. And so as many of his disciples were walking away, he, talked, he turned to the 12, his closest guys, the ones who had been there from the very beginning, who, who, were in the de- who had seen him work in the deepest parts. 
And he said to them this, Are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Can I say it? O-M-G. It's right there. O-M-G. It's there. Two very different reactions and two very different responses to Jesus. Jesus, who's doing this amazing thing of not just kind of out there miracles, but showing the people how their whole world is shaped by him and what God is doing through him as his son. And two, many of them walked away because they were right. This is a hard teaching. This isn't easy. Many of them walked away, but some of them stayed and said, we're willing to give our all to you because we don't just think you are God, we know. We know you are God and if that is true, we're willing to follow you. It's Jesus. Big pictures of Jesus that we've just kind of flown through but my question is, what is your response? What is your response when you see snapshots of Jesus? What's the food for thought for you? I'm going to get the band to come up and just finish with these. We've had our four snapshots, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, the bread of heaven, and yet still many desert Jesus. So what's your response? Is it an oh my God moment for you? It might be the first time you are having that or it might be the 101st time that you are having that where you look at Jesus and the snapshots of his life and you go, yes, you are God. Have my life. My question with that is, well, what does that actually mean for your life? And I think if this is the first time you're having that realization, I don't know if you'll know yet. And that's fine too. That's where you get to talk and gather and talk to the people around you and discover this amazing plan that Jesus has for your life. And if this is another time, uh, many times as your relationship with Jesus grows, I wonder what does it mean for your life? What are some of the areas that maybe you fully haven't handed over to Jesus that need to be handed over? There might be some, though, who are like those disciples who walked away just shaking their head and confused. I still don't know who this guy is. I still don't know if he is God or if he is just a man or maybe he was a good prophet. And my question is, will you draw closer to Jesus or will you turn away with that? Will you draw closer or will you turn away? If you want to draw closer, we've heard that Alpha Course is coming up and that would be a great thing for you to be involved in, to take all of this confusion and questions and lay it out for the people who are leading that. Because those who turned away, we, we never really hear of them again. We don't know what happened to them. But for those who stuck with Jesus, their lives were changed. Their lives were revealed. And their lives were moved. Where are you? Is Jesus, is this your OMG moment? I invite you to sing with us. If you'd like to.
empty but I know your love does not run dry so I wait for you so I wait for you I'm falling on my knees offering all of me Jesus you're all this heart is living for broken I run to you for your Stores my life, and so I wait for you. So I wait for you. I'm falling on my knees, offering all of me. Jesus, you're all this. Just your.